the value of you know, priming the pump, building the machinery, creating the, the mechanisms of finger and eye and mind and motion and concept and language just kind of blew me away. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, and here we are. You know a lot about writing because you love to write. You teach writing and you just cannot <laughs> wait to get behind your keyboard and rip out something. So you're going to talk, us, talk to us today about how to write a novel. No. no, 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 no. But I was thinking about this as we were preparing for this episode. I was thinking about what you say to the students to be careful what you complain about. So maybe some of the parents haven't or teachers haven't heard this. So, Well, I always start a writing class and I'll say something like, so how many of you like to write? You like to write well enough that you do it in your spare time if you ever had any. And, you know, I would say any random group of kids, you get somewhere between a fourth and a third. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would say, well, how many of you don't like to write? You'd probably rather do any other hard thing than write paragraphs or reports. And usually that's the remaining batch. They pretty much divide. And then I, you know, point out that, uh, you know, I didn't like writing when I was young. And I used to get very, very frustrated, particularly with having to write stories. And I would get once upon a time there was a... Uh, and then there'd be a big blank and, you know, tears dripping on my paper. I can't think of anything. And, of course, you know, it makes the kids laugh. But mm-hmm. I, I then point out, you know, that unlike them, I used to complain about stuff. <laughs> I used to complain about practicing my violin. I used to complain about having to write things. Mm-hmm. And you have to be very careful what you complain about when mm-hmm. you're young because it could affect your destiny. I grew up first career violin teacher. Next career, writing teacher. If the pattern holds, next career, possibly pulling the weeds teacher. So it is interesting. I think I didn't really like the activity of writing until I was old enough to know something Mm. worth communicating. Right. Mm -hmm. And in school, it was all kind of seemed just very tedious to me, especially the creative writing side. It's like, I don't have anything worth saying, and mm-hmm. I knew that. And I would write stuff, and I would think, oh, that's no good. And I knew it isn't any good. It was when I started to teach and communicate with parents that I thought, oh, I'll write a little newsletter and write a little article about different aspects of having a kid who plays the violin and helping them at home and Dr. Suzuki's philosophy and, you know, just parent enrichment. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when it became less painful mm-hmm. because I had something that was important to me and worth sharing, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. 
I still don't like writing that much, <laughs> as you know, but I do like having written yes. things. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And your latest two articles that we are including in the Homeschool and School Magalog, you you wrote very well, and you did a great job. And in fact, for the School Magalog, what we had asked you to write about, because you had thought this might be a good article, yes, I'll, I'll go ahead and f- develop it. You completely changed the topic, and it actually came out much better than because you wanted to write about that particular thing. That was a message you needed to share. Well, I was just thinking about overall, what are we doing, you know, especially with the SSS and schools and mm-hmm. just the power of watching other people right. do things is so much better than just reading the theory of how you should do something. Right, which is why and we use video yeah, in our exactly. materials. Yep. So, of course, this conversation that we're having today is part four of our conversation about listening, speaking, reading, writing, and then next week we'll talk about thinking. And we'll solve all the world's problems because we'll teach you how to think in one 30-minute episode. No, but this is based on your talk, Cultivating Language Arts, Preschool Through High School, where you talk about each of these four aspects and how they can be age-appropriate activities. Listening is a foundation for good speaking, which is a foundation for good reading, which becomes a foundation for good writing. Well, they're all they're all intertwined. Okay. They're interdependent. They're interconnected. Okay. Right. And so, if we look at the activity of writing mm-hmm. objectively, it is an extremely complex thing. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, I've thought about this, thinking it is amazing that any human being can do this. Right. Because it's mind-blowingly complex. Mm -hmm. So to break it down very simply, to write something, what must happen? First, there must be an idea. Now, that idea can exist outside of your memory or imagination, or that idea can originate inside Mm -hmm. your memory or imagination. But it must exist. If there is no idea... Writing is not possible, which is why I got stuck with the once upon a time there was a and no idea. (laughs) Uh, But that idea must Mm pre-exist, right? I would argue that it's easier to use an idea that exists outside your memory or imagination because immediately it's more objective. You don't have to find it. And it's likely then to pre-exist in words. So the pre-existing idea can pre-exist either in words, something you heard or read, or it can pre-exist not in words, and that would be something in your imagination or memory. So if I said, tell me about your recent trip, (laughs) right, that exists in kind of a montage of images and little video clips and feelings and conversations and blips You'd have to wrangle that together. Whereas, you know, if I ask you, tell me about, you know, the article you just read, mm-hmm. well, that preexisted in words. Do you see? Mm-hmm. Yep. So children are the same way. Mm-hmm. If you say, you know, tell me about your dog, that does not preexist in words. It preexists in experience and emotion and imagination and, and visceral mm-hmm. reaction almost. But it must preexist in one form or the other. Right. Then that idea has to go into words. Now, if it preexisted in words and you're putting it back into words, that's a whole lot easier. Right. If it preexisted as, a, as something else, 
like an experience. Now you have to speak that idea into existence. This is the relationship between speaking and writing. Okay. You make concrete an idea essentially by speaking it into existence,、mm-hmm. right? If you cannot speak the idea into existence, it's very, very hard to write anything about that. Right. Okay. So now, once you have an idea、mm-hmm. and it has been spoken into existence,、uh, you, the writer, must hear what you just said to yourself. Okay. Right. Now, sometimes people don't hear what they say to themselves. Have you ever met a person? And you're speaking with them, and you think, did they just hear what they just said? Right, right, because <laughs> they're being a little silly, perhaps,、yeah. or they're being distracted, or、mm-hmm. they've got you know various things going on, or there's neurological challenges, right?、Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of reasons why it might be hard to hear what you just thought of,、mm-hmm. what you just said to yourself.、Mm-hmm. But if you can't hear it, you won't be able to remember it、mm. long enough、mm-hmm. to be able to start writing it down. Okay, so you have to. Have an idea, speak it into existence, hear what you said yourself say, hold that in your memory long enough to then figure out what is the first word and how do you spell it. <laughs> right. Right. And for a young child, that is overwhelmingly complex. Yeah. And we know from our decades of doing this, the number one reason kids don't like writing is they are overwhelmed.、Mm-hmm. That the process is too. Complex, right? So, what are we all about at IEW? Breaking things down to the easiest possible. Yeah,、steps. into steps.、Mm-hmm. And so we begin with, of course, our system of keyword outlines.、Mm-hmm. Ideas pre-exist in words. We、mm-hmm. borrow some of those words. We recreate those.、Mm-hmm. Put them back into words. We keep it in the memory by using the outline format,、mm-hmm. and then we write up, and that gets everybody going. Right, and everybody can do it. Everybody、so、they, can do they it. They feel like, oh, that wasn't so hard. I They've overcome that challenge. Yeah, yeah. and I, I've met teachers and parents、mm-hmm. who observed a class. Yes, <laughs> you know, un, unbeknownst to me, right? I don't know any of the kids or、mm-hmm. or what their history or aptitude is,、mm-hmm. and and that teacher or parent afterwards say, that's the first time in this child's life, right? He's written anything that long. Yeah, anything like that. So you know, it's wonderful, wonderful, and then of course. We have the process of the nine units,、mm-hmm. where we move the student from the dictated source text, you know, the dictated content of the keywords from every sentence, all the way to, you know, write about your dog, write about your trip, write about you know something you imagine, which is unit seven, blank page,、yep. unit seven,、yep. and then the more sophisticated combination where you have pre-existing ideas and original. Commentary、mm-hmm. on that, and that blends together in units eight, nine, and beyond. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But、uh, this process of of writing can be cultivated, okay, oddly, <laughs> before children actually write. Interesting. Okay, great. So where do we begin? Well, Charlotte Mason talks a bit about narration. Okay, and this, of course, is the relationship between the speaking and writing.、Um, everyone talks. Speaking is intentional,、mm-hmm. so she talks about when you do something with a child, you know, make cookies, take a nature walk, read a book.、Mm-hmm. After that, take some time, stop, and encourage that child to reconstruct verbally、mm-hmm. what they can from that experience.、Mm-hmm. That is tremendously 
valuable uh, because it's uh, allowing them to take that moment of speaking the idea into existence. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be prerequisite for then writing the stuff down later on. Right. And you did talk a little bit about that when we were talking about speaking. Mm -hmm. So, right. Yeah. So that's important. Uh, Another thing that's very uh, appropriate is for the parent or scribe Mm -hmm. to to write down what the child says. Mm -hmm. And that writing it down, uh, the child couldn't do that because, Mm -hmm. you know, that child is possibly just in the stages of beginning to learn how to write the letters of their name. Mm -hmm. But they can dictate a story. They can narrate an experience. They can tell back and watch what they're saying go into Mm -hmm. words on a paper. I think I mentioned I have a couple grandsons who don't write fluently yet because they're too young, (laughs) but they narrate stories and then illustrate them and send me illustrated storybooks. Very fun. And uh, so it's you know, it's very sweet. And for them, they're writing a book. Right, exactly. Right? <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so preschoolers, Charlotte Mason approach of having them narrate and dictate. Okay, yeah. so can we – is there anything else at that preschool age or can we move in now into primary? Well, generally you would think of primary as the period when mm-hmm. uh, kids have the – visual and manual Mm. aptitude to start learning to write the letters of the alphabet, Mm -hmm. to start copying words. Okay. We could, at some point, insert right here a more in-depth conversation about the potential benefits of cursive. Right. Okay. And when to start and Mm -hmm. maybe even a cursive first approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think this is the time for that. Mm -hmm. But Generally, kids show you that they're ready to want to learn to write because they will try. Right. (laughs) And what is the most natural thing for any child to do is to copy what they see. Right. So we would give them things to copy, whether, you know, it's a book with different letters and how to make those letters with the little arrows so you know, you know, this one goes up, this one comes down, you do this one first, this one second, this one third, that kind of stroke order idea to mm-hmm. practice making letters in the right way. That's very important. Mm-hmm. It's copying. To a little bit beyond that where kids would be copying, say, a whole sentence mm-hmm. uh, and practicing their handwriting. And increasing their attention span. <laughs> sure. Increasing their uh, attention, attentiveness, um, concentration, mm-hmm. just stamina, mm-hmm. just stamina. And I think that too often we see, particularly in some schools, that they eliminate that kind of daily practice of copy work too soon. Mm -hmm. You know, they start thinking, okay, you know, second or third grade, you know, or sometimes even as young as first grade, we have to get them all about, you know, express themselves and be unique and have you know, have fun with it. Mm-hmm. And so give them a piece of paper, draw a picture. Now write anything you want. Don't worry about spelling. Don't worry if it's right or wrong, just mm-hmm. whatever. Well, there's perhaps a modicum of value there, but it's not going to create the kind of basic skills 
and confidence mm-hmm. that kids need. So if you go back, say, 150 years ago, I don't think they wasted paper no. <laughs> on eight-year-olds so they could write whatever they wanted right. and call it good. Mm-hmm. No. What did they have? Well, they had the, you know, the— Slate board. The slate board. Mm-hmm. And what did you do? You copied, you know, scripture or aphorisms or sayings mm-hmm. or proverbs. Right. Uh, which generally would have a higher quality of syntax and or vocabulary than you would bump into in daily mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. So it was modeling, right? And uh, so I have long noted that kids who have a good foundation developed through regular daily copy work mm-hmm. are much easier to make the shift into keyword outlines and story writing and uh, right. original idea expression. Sorry, I have to jump in here and just give another plug for SSS. This is our Structure and Style for Students video course. I remember you saying to the parents of that student, and we give this recommendation as well, Mm -hmm. as part of their homework, especially those early weeks, do some copy work to build stamina. Yeah. So they probably, third grade, weren't quite ready to write even those keyword outlines quite yet. Well, and it's, you know, it is kind of like... Just a comfortable thing you can do mm-hmm. without having to think a whole lot about right. what words to use or how to spell those words or what right. order to put them in. You can have an attentiveness to detail, mechanics, mm-hmm. punctuation, spelling, stuff mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. um, and just build the stamina. Right. Just build the stamina of putting words on paper. And, you know, we often use the musical analogy or the athletic analogy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to be good, what do you do? exercises in a particular, very structured, highly repetitive way. Right. <laughs> uh, because that is what builds in the the musculature, mm-hmm. the infrastructure of your system to be skilled right. in a less structured and organized way mm-hmm. down the line. I think we, we do tend to kind of throw out that idea of copywork too young, Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm always reminded of the remarkable story of my son, mm-hmm. who last week I mentioned, and many of our listeners know, uh, he was the most dyslexic child I had ever met. Mm-hmm. He didn't read anything till he was 10. He didn't read a book till he was 12. And it wasn't as though I hadn't tried. <laughs> and it wasn't as though I don't know how to teach someone to read. Right. right? It was just a case where he, he was just not wired to do it. Right. But around 10 and a half... I thought, well, okay, he can't read. He doesn't want to learn to read. I can't make him read, Mm -hmm. but I am the writing guy. Yes. (laughs) So he is going to write. But what what could he write, you know? So essentially, the only thing he could do was copy work, right? I mean, that was the only thing that was within his experience and knowledge level was to just copy. So I set him up on this program of copy 100 words a day. You can copy anything you want. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. he's 10 years old. So that's quite above the average Mm -hmm. for, you know, starting. Although I think if I had tried this when he was eight, it would have been absolutely, completely impossible. Okay. You know, but some kids, you know, could obviously Mm -hmm. do this at a younger age. Mm -hmm. But uh, for him, I said, we're going to start and you can copy anything you want. I think he started with the Usborne book of medieval weaponry or some mm. something <laughs> right. like that. So he could, you know, copy a sentence or so and then see a cool dagger 
kind of restore his soul, <laughs> copy another sentence, you know, be exhausted, look at a battle axe, restore himself. Uh, so the pictures, you know, mm-hmm. gave a, a break mm-hmm. uh, visually. And, mm-hmm. and it was a book that had fairly large text, mm-hmm. which is, I think, important for, you know, young children and right. kids with that dyslexic tendency. And I said, okay, here's the deal. I will pay you a penny a word for every word you get correct. If you reverse a letter, I won't dock you for that. If you reverse the position of two letters, mm. you don't get paid for that. Right. So a certain level of I got to be careful. I got to exert willpower over my eyes and brain mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. make it happen. And uh, if you finish 100 words in 20 minutes, you get 25 cent bonus. And every time you whine, argue, or complain, you lose 10 cents, right? So you got to have, as my motivation right. talk, you got a potential gain and a potential loss. So we're going to be sure we put in the show notes this motivational system that you're talking about so people can search it and find it because we get this question a lot yeah. in customer service. Can you tell me again how Andrew motivated his son to do copy work? Okay, so a penny a word – Dock 10 cents. If you complain, you get a 25-cent bonus if you get all 100 words. Inside a certain amount of time. Inside a certain amount of now, time. Now, you know, the 100 was somewhat arbitrary. Right. I would recommend people choose the number of words that does not exceed a 20-minute attention okay, span. Okay, so 20 minutes. Okay, good. Yeah, because kids, especially boys, can just be done yeah. at a certain point. <laughs> <Yes>. So. <laughs> And then I said, you know, this money isn't going into your pocket. It's mm. going into a special fund mm-hmm. called the Airsoft Weaponry Purchase Fund. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the only way you can buy Airsoft Weaponry is with this money. Uh-huh. You can't use grandma's birthday check, right? Okay. So it's kind of a point system. And it doesn't matter whether you use pennies or points or stickers or whatever. Mm-hmm. What it is is, is it's, a syst- it's a thing that changes a chore into a challenge. Right. People say, well, it sounds like bribery. No, 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 no. Bribery is when you pay someone to do something illegal or immoral. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is neither. Mm-hmm. This is um, compensation yes. for effort, <laughs> yes. right, which we all appreciate. Yes. We're all in this room yes. you know, because we like to be compensated for our effort. Yes. We may love what we do from mm-hmm. time to time. Mm-hmm. So for him, I mean, you can't really take a 10-year-old boy and say, you should do this because it's good for you, mm-hmm. right? What's good for him is what's good for him, right? Right in his own perception. So anyway, so it was very interesting because what happened was he never argued or complained, oh, well, which was remarkable. Yes, <laughs> I mean not even once. Wow, just because the threat of the fine mm-hmm. was there. Right, right. Uh, whereas if there hadn't been that, I could see this being you know quite mm-hmm. a contest of wills mm-hmm. time to time. Mm-hmm. The second thing was he very quickly started calculating, mm-hmm. right? If I can get – if I'm perfect and I can get a buck and a quarter a day, how many days will it be right. until I can buy that, you know, twenty nine ninety five plus shipping and handling airsoft gun mm-hmm. that – I want, mm-hmm. right? right? And at that age, that was kind of the big thing. You know, yes. he lived for that. Not all kids do, but right. you can always find something that kind of is is what they believe is good for them. Uh, so anyway, he started calculating. He even came to me after a few weeks. He said, could I do more than 100 words no. a day? I said, wisely, no. No. <laughs> he said, well, could I do it on the weekends? I said, well, 
Saturday, not Sunday. <laughs> we said, how come? I said, too expensive. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, I he, he was motivated. And so you want to keep it at that level, mm-hmm. right? He was just thinking, could I copy enough to get my whole th- gun in one day? I, you know, no. but that yeah. wouldn't be good for no. anyone. Okay. Uh, so we kept the system going. And I'll tell you, one of the great things about airsoft weaponry <laughs> is it's cheap plastic junk that breaks <laughs> yes. quickly after you buy it and start to use it. Right. So you need a constant resupply, <laughs> plus ammo. Yes. Right? <laughs> anyway, so we kept this going for quite a while. If if my memory is correct, it, it lasted for about 16 months. So from mm-hmm. he, when he mm-hmm. was about 10 and a half until he was 12. Mm-hmm. And several things happened. One is during that time period, he started to become an independent reader. Oh, uh-huh. He started to get his decoding going and he started to – he read his first book, mm-hmm. right, right around mm-hmm. that time when he was 12. And I don't know if there was a direct correlation or it was just, you know, that one was reinforcing the other right. or just, you know, kind of a – you know, just happened mm-hmm. uh, because he was also getting older and was able to exercise his growing yeah. inner strength, his will yeah. over his neurology. But um, he shifted over. He he shifted over and copied some various different things mm-hmm. over the time. And we just kept the system going. And I would go away for a few days. I would come back and we would, you know, count it all up and put <laughs> it on the whiteboard. Okay, mm-hmm. here's how much money you've got for your next airsoft purchase and all that. He was 12. I know he had turned 12 and he was reading. He had just finished that book, Bridge to Terabithia, he mm-hmm. had read to me. Mm-hmm. And one day I, I came back from a trip. I said, oh, we better count up your copy work. And I turned to the last page in his notebook. Mm-hmm. And I started reading this thing. And I thought, this is odd. It's not wrong. It sounds fine. It's just odd. And there were more spelling confusions than he would have normally had. So I said to him, is this your copy work? Mm-hmm. He said, yeah. I said, so what you're telling me is that you copied this from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. He said, yeah. Even the misspellings? <laughs> so I said, where did you copy it from? Mm-hmm. And he said, my brain. Is that Okay. Oh, wow. And it blew my mind. What he had written was actually a little narrative Mm -hmm. of a boy who fell in a stream, Mm -hmm. a river, and his dog jumped into the river and grabbed him and pulled him to the side and saved his life, Mm -hmm. which was actually an event from my son's early life. Oh, really? Wow. So some people claim. Yes. (laughs) Um, And so he had this this idea Mm -hmm. that this happened to him. And he was able to speak that idea into existence, hear or see those words, and copy from his brain. Right. And when he said that, it just it blew my mind because I thought, well, that's pretty much what we're always doing, isn't it? Right. I mean, we're copying from our mind, <laughs> exactly. from our brain. And the value of, you know, priming the pump, building the machinery, mm-hmm. creating the the mechanisms of of Finger and eye and mind and mm-hmm. motion and concept and language. Right. It just kind of blew me away. Right. So, you know, don't underscore the copywork. 
Right. Then, of course, you know, as kids uh, get into middle and high school, we want to try as much as possible. We can't always be successful, but to find things that are of relevance and interest to them. And, of course, we did this with the SSS. We tried hard to find, Mm -hmm. you know, subject matter for the source text, for Mm -hmm. the stories, for the research projects Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that were informative but also engaging. Right. That would stimulate a bit of the imagination. And as kids get older, the more freedom we can give them to do their own research, to explore their own interests. Right. And, of course, you're going to have on – you know, kids on both sides of the spectrum, the ones who really like, just give me, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Right. And those who don't tell me what to do, I want to do what I want to do. Right, exactly. I mean, we had both. Right. And that's, of course, part of the brilliance of Webster's units is you right. get to alternate kind of be- be- between the dictated subjects and the source text and then the creative writing with the stories, the pictures, the inventive and all that. Right, exactly. And one of the things about that I love about our writing system and Obviously, I love it because I've been working now with you for more than a dozen years. But it's it reaches all ages and abilities because, you know, at the beginning you talked about the third of students who wanted to write and the two-thirds of the students generally who were like, get me out of here. IEW and the Structure and Style Methodology helps those struggling writers, we talk a lot about them, the reluctant writers who just can't come up with what to write with. No problem. We've solved that problem. But at the same time, we're helping those natural writers, those are air quotes right there, that are very disorganized and don't really know how to say these great ideas that they have. They can't do copy work from their mind because they don't know how to organize their writing. And we've got that solved too. I love that. We've got all of it. Right. So the Institute for Excellence. You know, the last thing I would say is at the high school level, Mm -hmm. it's really a period of integration Mm -hmm. because you're not saying let's focus on developing, you know, listening, speaking, reading, writing rather than what activities can we do that incorporate all Mm. of those skills, that integrate those skills. Okay. And as you know, uh, I'm a fan and, and my kids, most of my kids have done uh, to some degree, competitive speech, debate, mm-hmm. moot court, things where they have to do all those things in a forum that motivates them to work hard to do their best because mm-hmm. of the competition right. challenge <laughs> yes. aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we teamed up with the uh, NCFCA mm-hmm. to put together the three packages on public speaking, on values debate, and policy, policy debate. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those are great options. And then uh, I also have been um, suggesting opportunities for high school students to do things like uh, start a little business. Mm-hmm. That requires listening, speaking, reading, and writing right. and thinking <laughs> to work on local political mm-hmm. campaigns. Right. Uh, we have some real interesting stories of kids who got involved in a local campaign mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ended up having, as a teenager, a job for, you know, a a state representative or something. Right, exactly. You know, any kind of uh, drama or acting Mm -hmm. uh, type of opportunity also helps to integrate those Mm -hmm. things. So uh, there's lots of uh, freedom, I think, that kids have when they have a great foundation. Right. They can walk into any circumstance, and if they can listen well and speak well, immediately they're respected. If they can read decently well and write decently well, 
Wow. They become very useful, mm-hmm. um, not in a utilitarian sense, but in an opportunity sense. Exactly. Uh, they can take on responsibility so more, much more easily than kids who aren't as comfortable or confident in those areas. Good. Well, I think that was very helpful, Andrew. I think our listeners will really appreciate some of these tips to help students grow at any age. As I know, as a grandmother, I'm looking forward to sharing some of these things with my son and his wife to for my granddaughter, because she's at that preschool age, of course, you know. And um, next week, we'll talk about thinking. Okay. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>